We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome to the OBR Film Breakdown. It is your Thursday, April 13th episode. And if you've been paying attention to what I've been talking about here, is obviously I'm your host, Jake Burns. There's not been much traction as far as Browns news lately, but we saw some things over the past few days that I want to hit on uh, kind of as we open this episode. Uh, the first being more today as I'm recording this late afternoon here on Wednesday. Uh, if you didn't notice, Perry on Winfrey, this is the, the the really bad news, is, is he was charged with misdemeanor assault down in Houston, which is never anything you want to hear. So it links to assault of a family member, uh, a female. Um, it was brought to uh, attention by Fox Houston News uh, 26, I think it was, Fox 26 Houston. And the Browns uh, updated the OBR through text message that they're aware of the situation, gathering information. And uh, it, it's just, it's not good. It's certainly not good for a player in the second year of a, of a rookie contract who's, who's really fighting to continue to be on the football field, right? Because the Browns are linked to uh, many decisions at defensive tackle. Al Woods has been brought in for a meeting. They're, they're certainly going to be continuing to look at names, ways to improve that group. You know, the, the Tommy Togiais, Jordan Elliott's of the world. Everybody's fighting for a spot as Dalvin Tomlinson has come in, and we all sort of think they're going to draft a defensive tackle at some point as well. Now, Winfrey had moments at the end of last year, but you certainly looked at last year as a rookie, a guy that was rumored to be upward of a second-round pick at the time, gets taken in the fourth round. You can see that there's just a ton of inconsistencies to his game. You saw some positive movement at the end of the year, but this is this is certainly a bad trend. Now, it's a misdemeanor, and who knows, this could be walked back. It could end up falling apart, whatever, whatever, but this isn't the news you want to hear uh, for a guy re- you know, ready to jump into his second year in the NFL and get better. So it's not that it jeopardizes his spot. We'll see the severity of it and what it does. It doesn't really make him uh, a guy that you automatically cut because you got to see the legal process through. But as far as news you wanted to hear around Perry on Winfrey, this couldn't be any further from the situation that you wanted to hear. So as more news uh, becomes solidified in what is this situation, we will let you know. But it is not it is not encouraging for, for Perry on Winfrey to have this happen uh, right as team activities on the 17th are about to start kick up. And 
uh, everything that he needs to be doing to get into the right place to, to make an impact in the second season that the, that many people were expecting and hoping uh, that he'd be able to do. So, uh, unfortunate. The other piece of news happened yesterday. It was It was a lot more serious. It got picked up by mainstream um, uh, media. Now, listen, the, the OBR was in the forefront of uh, saying, as Greg Newsom switched agents, that he was requesting a trade. Okay, so this is a complicated situation. Right. So Greg Newsom has a fantastic rookie season playing outside corner predominantly the entire season. He has a really great rookie season. I didn't turn any interceptions in, but good uh, performances on the football, knocking, breaking passes up. You could just tell he's really comfortable. Now, as they brought in third round pick Martin Emerson and they wanted to keep those three guys on the field, there started to be some developments of moving him inside. And he was, you know, at, the, at least in the preseason last year. Talking about his willingness to move inside, we saw him late in 2021, his rookie year, play a little bit more in the slot. He could do that. That's a flexibility piece. Well, it turned into a huge role, right? Because the Browns didn't have anybody naturally ready to replace the skill set of Troy Hill, who replaced Tavier Thomas and a few others the year before. And it left a, a situation where the Browns said, we want our three best defensive backs in the field. When it's a base personnel group where we have three linebackers, obviously Denzel and Greg stay on the field and play outside corner. So... Newsom was a starter uh, more in the sense of in-base personnel. He played, Martin Emerson didn't, but when they went into you know your more common every-down package in the NFL these days to, to answer higher-volume wide receivers, you play a lot more nickel. They wanted to get those three guys on the field together, and Greg was the most natural guy to play in the slot. Now, I still don't think he was good at it. He wasn't good enough at it to justify moving him out of that spot, but they wanted to get all of those guys on the football field. When that happened, I thought it was pretty easy to see that this is a first-round pick that you're now making a slot corner, and to me, him pegging himself into that rule, sort of making it that he was comfortable doing it, again, as a first-round pick, this isn't like a sixth or seventh-round pick or a guy like, say, Jeffrey Okuda, who just got traded for a fifth-round pick. Okuda was a former third overall, I think, Corner taken from Detroit, gets traded to Atlanta, more of a reclamation project. That's when you see these guys more uh, naturally move inside because they're trying to figure out they couldn't handle the outside role, so they go inside. That's not the case here. Newsom could play outside and thrived in his rookie season outside, but he moves inside, and I'm like, this is interesting because it's clear you get if the best of the best at the position gets double the amount of money playing outside. Denzel Ward is a $20 million player, the highest paid APY interior guy pushes maybe nine, 10 million. You don't see inside guys make those big contracts. Now, again, I think that's going to shift over time because playing in the slot is a challenging role, extremely challenging, presents a bunch of unique, more unique stuff, uh, playing your run fit, doing a bunch of different things where you're involved closer to the football uh, than it does playing outside corner. But it was just sort of interesting because eventually I thought, okay, Newsom is going to want another contract. He's a pretty good player. This is just an interesting route to go. He was not as consistently good as he was his rookie year. He wasn't as as uh, eager to play the run as you need to be, a guy who's willing to be uh, a, a guy who can come down and fit in the box, tackle, take on uh, a tight end occasionally, and make a play. Not a fun job at times playing slot corner. So just where this was always headed, it made the most sense that Newsom was going to eventually one outside. Now, he laid breadcrumbs all offseason, a very online presence is Greg Newsom about wanting to be back outside. This is not a surprise to me. So as he switches agents, because again, you're painting the, this this picture for a, a former first round pick. These guys are always trying to figure out how they're going to make their next deal. And that's fun. That's what they should be doing, maximizing their value. If you were taken in the first round as Greg Newsom was, 
He's trying to figure out how do I maximize my value in the league. He's willing to go play the slot a little bit, but maybe the role uh, overextended itself last year with with Joe Woods. Or I'm not sure, but there's some sort of level of this guy doesn't want to be in there all the time, but the Browns feel like they have to. Maybe they didn't think Martin Emerson was going to be as good on the outside initially as he was because he was a, a really nice rookie season. And I understand wanting to get all three on the field, but you can see where this becomes a bit of a problem. Newsom wants to be playing a majority, three quarters or more of his snaps outside. He can play the slot a little bit. Denzel plays the slot a little bit, but he doesn't want to spend 60, 70, 80% of his his snaps on this defense inside. So he's talking to his agent, right, trying to figure this out. And perhaps another guy, which he goes back to Rosenhouse Sports, says we can get you traded or we can get this situation resolved in a way that gets you to that position back outside where you can make the most money. So you can see why his name was floated around all offseason between Greg and Martin Emerson, between guys being traded. The Browns have a little bit of a problem here. They have three guys who want to play outside. They don't have a guy who wants to play inside. And they would rather have those three guys as a uh, a defensive coordinator and a scheming part of the game, those three on the field, rather than throwing A.J. Brown out there. So... It's a bit of a it's a paradoxical in a sense, right? It's a it's a small problem. You want your best on the field, but your best doesn't fit the way it's it's maybe uh, designed to fit. So this is the the situation. Uh, you get you get Newsom, who obviously switches away from his former agent to the next, putting pressure on the Browns. His his agent Drew Rosenhaus flies to Cleveland for a meeting. He's not doing that for nothing. There's a meeting there where they're kind of laying out what they want Newsom to be, or there's going to be some sort of we want out, he wants out of this situation. Now, he would never come out and say that. That lose that, that publicly hurts Newsom. It publicly hurts Rosenhaus for them to come out and put this statements out there. I don't expect them to. And I think that Greg Newsom does want to be in Cleveland. But all I'm gonna say is if you think Rosenhaus flew to Cleveland for nothing. And he was hired back by Newsom for nothing. I, I can't. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I think that it's pretty obvious there's some pressure. Now, the difference between perhaps wanting to be traded and demanding a trade request is a different thing. I think there's some pressure from the the side of Rosenhaus and Newsom to figure out with Jim Schwartz what his role is going to be. And maybe they all sat down and had a conversation around that, and they got to a resolution to a spot that they feel better. And that's the discussion. But I'm telling you that the decision to be in Berea for Rosenhaus is meaningful. It's meaningful. Now they come out again. Newsom retweets, and uh, you know Adam Schefter gets the, obviously fed the information from Rosenhaus, and they refute any idea of a trade. But there's not a doubt in my mind they either had to be told what they wanted to hear about Newsom being moved back outside and getting snaps there. Something has to shake loose. Because I don't think you're going to see Newsom be happy, content with that sort of role as a nickel corner and the and the amount of money that the market sets for that position. So it's something to monitor. I'm not saying anybody's report was wrong or any. I'm not sitting here saying Newsom is lying. I'm just telling you this was always going to be a problem in my opinion because the the market dictates positionally how much money a guy gets and Newsom as a former first round pick who has not exactly played bad at all he was a b- average to below nickel but if you go look at his rookie year it was really pretty good outside so he's trying to maximize his value the browns are trying to get their best players on the field 
it's just you can see it's not a horrible problem to have here, but it is nonetheless a bit of a problem. And how they're going to rectify this is going to be really interesting to me because they have not addressed it with a veteran nickel corner. And we're still left to kind of try to figure out where this all goes because I don't think Martin Emerson can just go down and play the nickel with his uh, you know, sort of skill set is the, the lack of twitch that it needs to, I think he can handle the physicality of it, but the twitch you need, some of those other fine uh, skill skill points, I just don't see it there to fit as well as he does as a sort of field corner uh, with a bit more time to react and use that length. So it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. I'm not surprised one bit by where this has gotten with Newsom. I also don't think it was just all visiting Berea for no reason from Rosenhaus, right? And and again, I'm not saying they put in a trade demand or a trade request, but I do think that the idea of if we don't get the answer from the future role under Jim Schwartz that we want to hear, we're going to start to lay the groundwork for some sort of uh, request down the line. I, I really do. I, if, if you think differently and you think that Berea was a hosting spot for Drew Rosenhaus to just come in and smile with his arm around, Newsom and, and that change of agent around this time is normal. I, I it's just it's not. That's not how the NFL operates. So again, nobody's wrong here. I'm not calling anyone out or anything. I'm just trying to let you understand and think about it from the perspective of Newsom and the Browns and and see the weirdness of what that situation was. So we'll continue to monitor it. Obviously on this pod, talking to people as we do. Uh, see if there's a, a change that we catch wind of about the positional stuff with Schwartz that we can sort of solidify. But for now, um, we'll just have to presume that there was something said to him about the fit in this defense that made him happy, um, you know, and, and obviously made him come out and publicly uh, retweet the situation and go after it and all of that in, in a sense, in a, in a way that just kind of got really messy. Uh, we'll hope that that situation resolves itself in the best way because you want Greg Newsom on your team. He's really good. So that's the hope that they can work that out and figure it out and have some success this year. We'll move off that topic. We're going to move to today's guest, Jordan Reed, ESPN. I don't really need to do anything lengthy. You can find all of his draft content at ESPN. Uh, formulated a relationship with Jordan back when he was with Draft Network. And boy, has the Draft Network had some really great names over the years. Guys like Solak and uh, obviously, Reed here and 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 many others that have have done really great things. Joe Marino, who, uh, these guys that have done uh, Trevor Sikama. Gosh, I mean, they've just had a bunch of great names that have gone through there. It's uh, company looks a little bit different now, but uh, you know, Jordan has always been good to us. He's always been really understanding of what the Browns do. Uh, you know, organizationally, their thought process. He puts the time and effort into understanding the way front offices think team to team. It's not a passive thing. It's not a lazy thing. He is very much with it. And I think anytime you can get his opinion ahead of the draft, we try to do so. Jordan graced us with about 20 minutes of his time. And I think it's really, really good. So stick around. If you want to hear that, we're going to get to that interview with Jordan Reed of ESPN right now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, Jordan Reed. How are you, Jordan? I'm good, Jake. Thanks for having me as always. Yeah, my, my pleasure to to get any of your time that we can, man. We always we always appreciate it a ton. All right, we're getting down to crunch time. How, how like I gotta ask, you, you do this all year round. You've been doing it for multiple years now, uh, all the way up to ESPN uh, th- through the draft network and many other me- like do, is there a point in draft prep where you're like, I'm just I'm good. I'm tired of thinking about this class. I'm just ready to get this draft roll. Are we at that two week period or does it never or does it never really burn you out? You're always just ready and amped up to talk about this stuff all the time. No, I mean, you always have to stay ready. That's just the quarterback in me, honestly. Um, just always being ready, being on my P's and Q's about this draft class. And you've studied so much throughout the past 11 or so months over all of these guys. It's just fun seeing it all come together now. And we're in the final stages of these guys have already put their entire draft portfolio or resumes that I like to call it together. Now it's just we're entering what I call the white noise part of the draft process. Mm-hmm. So you're hearing so many different rumors. There's going to be a different rumor every day before we get to the draft. And there's some other picks that will be like that as well. So just trying to stay away from social media, check in with sources to make sure nothing's changed and things like that. That's the big part of the process right now. I love it. I love it. You got to stay ready. That's uh, certainly the MO around this time because right up until the draft, we've seen up to draft days, guys not quite prepared for this thing and it catches up to them. So I'm going to ask you this general question. I'm not going to tell you to predict picks or anything like that. Of the top quarterbacks, you know, we're Ohio guys. We're invested in CJ Stroud. I live in Columbus. Who's your guy at the top? Who's your quarterback that you like the most? I, I should say the one you believe in the most out of this group. Um, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of the guys at the top and Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. It's just a matter of how comfortable you feel with either, with their pluses and their minuses. Obviously, with Bryce Young, the thing that we're going to talk about the most is his size from a negative standpoint. And you're going to hear the comparisons, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Kyler Murray. He isn't as stout as some of those shorter quarterbacks that we have seen in years past. But as far as playing the position, I think he's just as good or even better as far as just strictly playing the position and then the leadership skills, the poise, they're just so impressive with everything about his game. And then with CJ, a little bit of a different style. He's more of a prototypical quarterback, excuse me, as far as playing from the pocket, seeing Reed, see Reed react and execute. Accuracy is off the charts. And he's just so polished with everything that he does as far as playing the position. So two totally different types of quarterbacks. They come in different shapes and sizes too, just a matter of, are you comfortable with their pluses and their minuses? And CJ's biggest minus just being, can he consistently create, <clears throat> excuse me, with that off-script creativity like we saw against Georgia and then also against Northwestern, can he consistently be that guy on the next level? Do you get the vibe that he didn't move? I mean, you know, I watched it. I got the vibe. He was certainly more capable of running than he ever put on tape, but he didn't do it. And there were opportunities to do it. Do you get the vibe he just wanted to prove that he could sling it? Uh, and, and from that, like, you know, the question that comes from that is is sort of twofold, right? Because if he didn't run because he wanted to prove something, 
That's that's one thing. If he didn't run because he couldn't recognize when to run, that's another thing. What's your take on the lack of using the athleticism? That's clearly there. I mean, we saw it little in Northwestern. Like you said, we certainly saw it against Georgia. Is it just a matter of him trying to focus on taking advantage of that a little bit more, reminding himself that he doesn't have to make every throw? Uh, you know, I'm curious about that from your tape study of him. I think that's just his playing style, honestly, and that's the way that he likes to play the game. He doesn't like to play outside of structure, and if you think about it, he didn't really have to when you think of the weapons that he was thrown to, whether it was Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith, and Jigbo, even going back to two years ago with Garrett Olave and, uh, uh, excuse me, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave getting mixed up because they have so many different weapons. And then even some of the other players that were here by next year, Mecca Abuka, Julian Fleming, two other uh, highly profile wide receivers that we'll be talking about a lot next year. So I think it's a situation of where he didn't necessarily have to do it just because he had so many security blankets on the perimeter and Ohio state does such a good job with their schemes and their concepts that they're running of where they can get guys wide open of where he was able to execute that very cleanly. But when there were some situations of where he had to play, off script, I thought he passed the test with flying colors. The Northwestern game, that was my favorite game of C.J. Stroud, and I encourage everyone to go look at that game outside of Georgia just because that was the one game of where he had to play outside of structure and he had to be a runner. And career high in rushing yards in that game, I think he had a 60 or a 70 in that game. And that was a really challenging game for him just because it was like 50-mile-per-hour winds, the rain was really bad, and it was a light mist throughout the entire first half. So he had to adjust. He started 0 for 5, and he was able to persevere in that game. So that was one of my favorite performances outside of the Georgia game for Stroud. But I don't think it was a situation of where he's incapable of being a runner or playing outside of structure. I just think his mindset is that he wants to be a pocket passer. Yeah. Another game, if you're watching that Northwestern game and you want to figure out who Addy Adebaware is out of Northwestern, that's another fun one to, uh, <laughs> to tune into. So you can get you can get a twofold experience out of that one. Let me ask you this last question before we switch over to, to Cleveland. Marvin Harrison Jr. goes in this draft. He's somehow magically able to go. How, how high would his draft pick slot be? Is he a top five guy, top ten? Where, where would he go for you? Uh, the Bears would have kept the first over. draft class, honestly. I think he's a Jamar Chase, Julio Jones level of wide receiver prospect. And I would be shocked if he doesn't go top three. I think he's that special. He has the superstar ability to step into the league right away and be that all pro light like we saw from Julio Jones and A.J. Green and those types. I think he's an exact replica of what A.J. Green was when he was coming out of Georgia. Six foot four, 210 pounds, could do everything that you want at the position. It's going to be crazy next year. It's going to be a lot of hype for him. I'm pumped to see how it goes for him adjusting to a new quarterback and all that comes with that. Okay, switch over to Cleveland. Uh, they're weird, right? They're picking 74th. I think there's only a couple teams, maybe just one, San Francisco, that has a later starting point in the draft than Cleveland. I could be missing somebody there, but it's late. So how do you, when you go about looking at them, are you, are you shifting your projection from, yeah, maybe the Browns could use these few spots or are you looking at it from, they're probably just going to go best player available because the picks are so limited in certain terms of those top 75 talents. Yeah, I think they could go best player available after the Elijah Moore trade. I think that really helped them out a lot doing the pick swap with the Jets there. Uh, getting him was big just because I thought they had a huge hole at wide receiver outside of Donovan Peoples-Jones and also Amari Cooper. I thought they really lacked depth at wide receiver, but Elijah Moore definitely gives them 
that that third option that they're confident in, which they didn't have a year ago. So I was going to say they could go wide receiver at 74, but interior defensive line is another area I would like to see them address just because I like the Dallas Thomas in signing, but I still think they have a huge hole at that one technique spot, or even a three technique spot, uh, either or as far as the type that yeah. they want to add in the middle. And we both know the run defense was not very good for the Browns a year ago. So they have some holes to address up the middle, and I would like to see them address interior defensive line. I think that's an area where they can still serve to get better and add some more bodies there. Who, who, like, as you go through it and you start looking at those types who are going to be around that slot, so on and so forth, is there a match you've seen, a couple names you like as far as filling that for defensive tackle? I know I'm going to put two of your tweets up. They're back-to-back here. Uh, for 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 viewers, sorry, listeners, this would be a podcast here. So for those of you listening, I, I was drawn to a tweet on April third from Jordan. He talks about area scouts having a gold star beside a prospect's name, and many of these I was, you know, sometimes need confirmation that I'm not an absolute moron. Many of these names have been guys I've been talking about through the OBR's different various forms, mediums, writing, and, and content here on Twitch and podcast. So. I know that you listed here a couple guys interior. You're talking about a shade. Uh, is, is it Gerard or Jared Clark? And then uh, defensive tackle Zach Pickens. So uh, are those guys you have any uh, inkling that the Browns would be interested in as far as interior fill? Because you're right, Dalvin Tomlinson can can play a little bit of both roles. He can be a three or a shade when you need him to be either one. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know if Pickens is going to be there at 74. I think he could go late second early third so he could be there at 74 but it's going to be really touchy as far as if he gets to 74 but I'm a big fan of Pickens my first exposure to him out on the scouting trail was in the bowl game against North Carolina in 2021 I I thought he had one of the best games that I've ever seen from an interior defensive lineman he was very disruptive and if you think about it he was one of the top high school recruits coming into South Carolina but the big thing that Pickens always struggled with was consistency. His motor would run, run flaming hot for two plays, and then he would just go missing for a series at a time. But I thought he pieced it together, mm-hmm. especially on the pre-draft circuit this past season. I thought he performed really well at the senior bowl, and then he goes out and he tests really well. So he's going to have to go to an environment that asks a lot of him, a lot of him, just because I think he has the skill set of where he's capable of, pe- of being a starter immediately in my honest opinion I think he could be a day one starter I think that highly of him but it's just a matter of how consistent can he be on the next level so that's the big question that he's going to have to answer and as far as Gerard Clark I think he's one of the biggest hit gems in this entire draft class and you know he, he's not one of those players that's going to stand out on the pre-draft the senior bowl and practices and things of that nature just because that really doesn't suit his skill set he's a true zero nose or one technique that can take up the eight gaps mm-hmm. and he can keep your second level defenders of where you want them to roam clean. But I think he's an underrated pass rusher too. I think that's an underrated part of his game. So maybe like the fifth round, I think that's probably the sweet spot for him, but he's another one that I think can come through the door and give you some two down value immediately. And he can play in some spots on third down, but you don't want him consistently doing that. He's going to give you uh, the most bang for your buck on those first two downs. Like it. Okay. So Cleveland is still sort of in an interesting spot at wide receiver. Uh, you know, Elijah Moore trade helps out, definitely gives versatility, does some things. They may be looking uh, at Marquise Goodwin. They have reached a verbal agreement with him, but they have not actually put pen to paper and gotten that one done yet. If they end up looking at wide receiver, have you been drawn to anybody that particular? I know you have A.T. Perry listed here as a gold star guy you believe in. I certainly like A.T. Perry. There's some similar types, but 
if you're looking at Cleveland, what they're doing, what Kevin has traditionally done now, we think Kevin might get a little bit more shotgun heavy and do some things that Deshaun's a little more comfortable with. Uh, just give me your guys at wide receiver who you think are in that 74 to 126 range that you really like for Cleveland potentially. Yeah, just looking at some players that fit within the criteria or the qualifications that Cleveland requires. Um, a couple guys I would like to mention, Tyler Scott of Cincinnati. I think he's one that definitely would fit in very well. He fits the guardrails in the sense that they look for in the draft prospects. I think he could go uh, as early as the second round, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's still there at 74 for Cleveland. I think they need some juice on the outside. I think they need somebody that can really stretch the field. And I know that's what they want Marquis Goodwin and Anthony Schwartz to do. But I just don't know if those guys are going to give you what you need consistently as far as from a catch factor. But I think Tyler Scott mm -hmm. can be that guy as far as from a vertical stretch perspective. And then he also can run some underneath to some intermediate stuff. But I think you're going to leave that more so to the other players on the roster, your top three guys that you already have set. So Tyler Scott is definitely one. Jaden Reed of Michigan State is another that I would like to mention. I think he's another one that they could find a lot of interest in. But one player I think they're going to have a ton of interest in is Trey Palmer of Nebraska, another speed merchant that can give you some vertical stretch down the field. Love it. All names that we have talked about, it's good to hear you confirm that. There's a couple other positions I want to hit on with you. You talked about, uh, again, in your star, star player tweets, um, a couple people that interest me. Tank Bigsby at running back. Talk to me about Tank Bigsby, what you like about him. Because the Browns are certainly looking long view here. They only have two rostered running backs right now. Haven't gotten any sort of veteran. So it's Jerome Ford and Nick Chubb. And, you know, Nick is not old by any stretch yet. But he's got two real realistic years left in that contract. Potentially one if they end up getting some sort of offer that they might be enticed by at the end of 23. So they're, they're eyeing running back. Big class, loaded class. Uh, just did a, a little mock draft thing on Twitch tonight where we took Tank Bigsby. But are there some other guys? Well, like I said, first talk about what you like about Tank, but then any other guys that you're sort of drawn to in that fifth, fourth, fifth round range that Cleveland could be picking in? Yeah, Tank is actually my fifth ranked running back. I'm pretty much very high on him, uh, much higher than mm -hmm. the consensus in my opinion. But I think he's a classic case of a player that's going to be better in the pros than he was in college just because if you watch film of Tank, I mean, he was just a dead man walking a lot of times behind that offensive line that they had. So he was so fixated on when he was rushing in the backfield. So I think one of the better ones in the league, in my opinion, like Cleveland, some of the run lanes that he's going to get, I think he could thrive in a situation like that. So I'm a big fan of Tank. I think he's going to be a better pro than what he was as a college player just because of the offensive line difficulties that they had at Auburn. There's going to be much bigger, more, more, more gaping rushing lanes for him on the next level. So he's one that I would like to mention, but another that's really hot in league circles right now is Roshan Johnson of Texas. I think he's another player that they could take a liking to. He gives you special teams value, and he played that number two spot behind B. John Robinson, and B. John Robinson's phenomenal, rightfully so. He got all the spotlight, but Roshan Johnson is another player that you could, you're probably going to have to take at 74 if you want him, honestly, just because the feedback that I'm getting, there's a lot of teams that like him in that third-round range. So he's one. Uh, that I think they could take a liking to. But one I think they're going to have a ton of interest in is Kendra Miller of TCU. He, he's a very underrated player, a natural tackle breaker that runs really hard too. Love it. Fantastic. Those are names that we uh, have heard somewhat, but but certainly like Kendra Miller is a name that we need to hear a little bit more of. Good stuff. Last one is this. Uh, slot corner is an interesting sort of spot. I know your colleague there, Adam Schefter, put out today that Greg Newsom switched representation. He's not interested in a trade, but – 
the inside out stuff has not been something he's all too keen on. He, he certainly prefers to be an outside corner for reasons that I think are fairly obvious. We don't need to dive into him on this section, but if they're looking at slot, I know there's a lot of guys out there. Kytrell Clark's a guy you put a star by. Talk to me about him because he certainly seems like he's in a range that they could they could get. And if uh, if there's any other slot corners that you really like, is sort of that again, middle fifth on sort of sleeper type uh, type prospects in this one. Yeah, you know, Keitra Clark, he he embodies everything that you want in a nickel corner. He's tough, he's physical, uh, he's a jump talker, and he has that alpha mentality that you love to see, especially with him being a smaller corner. You like to have that type – you like to see corners have that type of confidence, and I thought he was the best player entirely. But regardless of position, I thought he was the one that impressed me the most out of anybody. So – He's probably going to go in that fifth-round range, if I had to guess, just because historically the fourth round is really where the run on nickel corners historically has started over the past decade or so for whatever reason. NFL teams don't like taking nickel corners into the fourth round, so I think you probably could get them in that fourth or fifth-round range. That's probably, if I had to guess today, if the draft was tomorrow, I think that's probably where he ends up going. Uh, He has the ball skills. He has everything that you want to be a day-one starter at the position. Um, another that I would like to mention is Cameron Mitchell of Northwestern. Um, he's one that has inside out versatility and he fits in the guardrails as well. A bit of a younger prospect, only 21 years old. So he's one I think Cleveland's going to like a lot. Okay. Good stuff. Last thing before we go, this is, I'm putting you on the spot. We're going to call back to this when, uh, when the time comes, shoot your shot here. Give me one player. Doesn't matter position. Doesn't matter where they're taking that you think ends up a Cleveland Brown in this draft. Ooh, you put me on the spot. Um, uh-huh. Let's see. I'm trying to think of the positions that they need and somebody that I think would really fit them. Um, they, I would be shocked if they don't take an interior defensive lineman, honestly. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with his name is Jacqueline Roy from LSU. Um, I think he's a player that could be in contention for them at 74. Very underrated player. Fits all of the guardrails that they love to see or that they require, I should say, at the position. So keep an eye on Jacqueline Roy of LSU. Well, the Browns have a propensity to take guys from LSU, so that would uh, that would certainly fit the criteria in more ways than one. Listen, I'd call him a star in the making, but he's already a star. He's Jordan Reed is at ESPN, one of the singular best draft coverage minds you will find who puts in all the work to understand individual teams, and there is no better NFL draft follow. He's right there with Dane Brugler for me. Jordan, thanks, man. We always appreciate you taking time to talk to us Browns fans and, and uh, giving us your insights, man. Thank you as always, Jake. Big thanks to Jordan for coming by today's episode and you guys as well for swinging through and listening to this podcast and continuing to leave fantastic reviews. Uh, Really, again, means the world to me, uh, continuing to do those through Apple, Spotify, however you do so. It's been uh, a really uh, overwhelmingly supportive stuff. Again, I thank you for that. And if you haven't done so, please leave a review. Appreciate it very much. Open and honest. Love it. Thanks, guys, for stopping by in general today. Continue to read the OBR's content where we have draft profiles going up nonstop. Uh, continuing to look at different age guardrail processes just uh, between the Browns and some of the people that they've either been with before or after Howie Roseman or Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, uh, you know, sort of looking at all of those, uh, you know, are those things translating across the league, the way the Browns think stuff like that. We had so many great episodes this week. We had that time spent with Jack on Monday talking about how Jimmy Haslam is actually helping the Browns through cash spending, giving them an advantage. Go back and check that one out if you missed it. We did the dueling mock draft yesterday where the fans were sort of these scouts 
And then Andrew Spade helped me out as the, the sort of head scout. And it was a lot of fun coming together and talking about that and figuring out some players uh, collectively to make one big mock draft. So I had a ton of fun doing that. We'll have some nice guests on the rest of the week. Should be some fun shows. We are getting really, really close to the NFL draft, which should be a really fun event. The OBR will cover through various different ways between all three days, including some live coverage the second and third day. Altogether good stuff. So like I said, thanks for stopping by and supporting the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. Have a fantastic Thursday, everybody, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.